calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is The Stone Lover by Marta Randall, performed by Stefan Rudnicki. This story is copyright 2017. Marta Randall's first story was published in 1972 in Michael Moorcock's New Wave anthology, New Worlds Five. Since that time, she has gone on to write seven novels, one a Nebula nominee, over 20 pieces of short fiction and various pieces of nonfiction. She has also taught writing since the early 1970s. She served one term as vice president and two terms as president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Because of this experience, she is known as a highly skilled cat herder. Born in Mexico City, she grew up in Berkeley, California, and lived most of her life in the San Francisco Bay Area. Finding life on earthquake faults tedious, she now lives in the site of an active volcano on the big island of Hawaii. So, before anything else erupts, we'd better buckle up. We're going to light speed. The Stone Lover by Marta Randall when word came that the king had died, Kiros began packing his tools. Agathon had been a fine patron, commissioning statues and friezes for his capital's many temples and his own palace, but his wife had no reputation for piety or art. He was surprised, then, when one of her pages delivered a scroll requesting his services. He unpacked his tools, shook stone dust from his tunic, and laid his palm on a block of marble for luck, before following the boy up the hill. Queen Fira had lost no time in cementing her power. Already her banner flapped above the palace gates, while workers whitewashed the walls in preparation for her own murals. A statue of Agathon had adorned the courtyard, but was there no longer. Kiros hadn't sculpted it, but it was good, solid work, and he was sorry it was gone, as were many of the pious friezes he had made to adorn the courtyard. 
He wondered which of the gods the queen meant to honor with her first commission. As it happened, none of them, nor did she want to be immortalized in stone herself. She wanted a statue for her private chambers. Her hands molded the air as she described it. A man, not Apollo, but like him in size and shape, reclining on a draped couch, one arm raised as if to cradle a lover, one knee slightly raised and canted to the side, his cock erect. Kiros had heard of such works before and was confident it would not tax his skill. Even before he backed out of her presence, he had a model in mind. A second messenger the next day added a detail. She wanted it as a fountain, its water heated by a fire in the base and triggered by a discreet switch in the neck. It would serve to warm the stone, too. The water would emerge, of course, from the cock. A small bit of engineering. He understood why she wanted it. He started work at once. He chose Tryphon for his model, one of the younger men from the Gymnasterio, who, despite his youth, carried the graceful bones and toned, sleek muscles of a warrior. His hair curled over his forehead and down his neck, and when it came to carving the more intimate details, his cock rose from its bed and stayed hard until Kiros either dismissed him or brought him to climax with his own body. If the queen did not appreciate the statue, Kiros thought, she was insane. In the city, outside the yard, the people knew she was insane. Where Agathon had been kindness and compassion, returning in service and safety what his people gave him in work and taxes, Queen Fira was cold and demanding. She ignored the Feast of Demeter. She closed her gates against the celebration of the bounty of the sea. She no longer sent the whitest of cattle for sacrifice at the Pantheon, and so the harvest filled only a quarter of the storerooms. She took it all. Poseidon withheld his bounty, so day after day the nets brought up weeds and little more, and sailors ventured farther and farther from the land in search of carp and dentists. Even the reliable herring were few and difficult to catch. Grapes soured on the vine, and unripe olives fell in showers from the trees. The island had seen droughts and famines in Agathon's day, but the king had always used his treasure to import food and wine from neighboring lands. Fira too imported food and wine, but the populace saw none of it. She fed her court and clothed them and herself in fine linens and silks, clasped and bound with jewels. Within his studio walls, Kiros knew nothing of this. She supplied him in abundance with all he needed. She and her courtiers came by on occasion to view his progress, and she always approved, leaving gifts of fine cheeses or amphorae of wine from Chios or Lemnos, or lengths of expensive silks. These piled up in the sculptor's storeroom or were shared with young Tryphon. The boy was much taken with the silks, which he draped around whatever part of himself was not of current concern. At last the statue was finished, sanded, polished, painted. The little fountain worked to perfection. The queen expressed her delight and appreciation. Statue and base together weighed so much it took eighteen slaves to carry them up the hill and into her bedchamber. After Kiros installed it and made sure it worked to her satisfaction, she sent a feast to his studio to be shared with his model, 
and in the midst of the meal she had them both strangled and their bodies thrown into the sea. The queen's sexual appetites were well known even when Agathon was still alive. At least, her courtiers whispered, she couldn't have her stone lover killed when she tired of him. As it happened, he pleased her so much, she retired to her private rooms and had her meals delivered to the door no farther. She barred her personal servants and slaves from her rooms, save for one girl who kept the fire burning under the statue and made sure the pipes were clear. She filled the lamps and emptied the chamber pot, slept curled inside the statue's base, and Fira soon forgot she existed. The queen had never experienced such satisfaction. She took her stone lover traditionally, straddling his hips while spread above him within the circle of his raised arm. She took him while kneeling away from him. She took him in her mouth. She took him in her ass. Unlike living men, he did not cry out when her teeth scraped down his penis or she scratched at his nipples. His cock never softened. He gave her pleasure beyond belief as his marble body heated, reacting to the fire burning below the base and the friction of her naked body on his. Did the skin of his shoulders soften? Did she feel a flutter in his belly? Was his raised knee canted more to the side? She spilled red wine before him. She sacrificed small birds, burning their guts and eating their flesh with reverence. She lay spread-eagled on her belly, murmuring desperate prayers not to Aphrodite or Eros, but to her stone-lover himself. She took him often, multiple times, spending hours naked and resting against him between bouts of lust. Outside, starving people crawled to the palace gates begging for scraps, but the courtiers barred the entrances and drove them off with spears and arrows. Their own supplies were running low. When they banged at her door, she ignored them. As long as she was fed, she was content. He was warming, wasn't he? She touched his head and felt his carved curls depress under her fingers. She wrapped her hand around his penis and felt it twitch. She bathed his body with aromatic oils. She clipped his fingernails and toenails. She felt soft stubble on his cheeks and chin. She murmured to him, urging him to life, urging him to join her on her couch. She poured wine for him that he could not drink, so instead she dribbled a little on the floor and drank the wine herself, and drank again, and again, until she stumbled backwards and sprawled across her couch, legs asunder, begging him to approach. He moved. It wasn't just the flicker of candlelight. He lowered his raised arm, he swung his legs to hang over the edge of the base. The copper water pipe scraped and broke as he stood. Water spilled and steamed behind him as he walked across the room. A floor tile cracked beneath his feet. Her breath caught in her throat. His cock seemed even bigger, and hot desire flooded her. She lifted a little off the couch, legs already bent to offer herself to him. When he reached her, he touched her breasts, his palms cool and smooth, and ran his hands down her body. She lifted her hips, urging him to enter her, 
and he knelt on the bed. Thick, gilded timbers groaned. He raised himself above her, and then down, penetrating her, laying himself along her body, along the length of her, resting on her as her ribs snapped and her pelvis broke, and she gave one last scream before blood stopped her voice. Silence filled the private rooms. After a time, the slave girl crept from the statue's base to see the stone lover stone again, and the queen's body crushed beneath him. The girl reached a tentative hand to touch the queen's cooling foot before she walked to the doorway and flung it open to let in the courtiers and behind them the populace. They crowded around the wrecked couch in silence, their liberation so sudden they could not raise a cheer, but at the shoreline voices rose in celebration. "'Fish!' they cried. "'We are saved! Fish!' Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki narrating The Stone Lover by Marta Randall. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Our sponsor this month is Hakusuru, an imprint of Viz Media dedicated to bringing Japanese science fiction to America and beyond. You can hear an excerpt of Orbital Drop by Taiyo Fuji in our March ebook issue. To learn more, visit hakasuru.com slash orbital dash cloud. When you type that into your browser, note that Hakasuru is spelt H-A-I-K-A-S-O-R-U. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.